my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as Robin comes this morning to preach on that passage, we'd love to just pray for him as well. Father, we do know that all scripture is inspired um, by you, but you have also inspired men to be able to communicate and given gifts to men to be able to teach. And so we thank you for the time that we have corporately to gather together and to look at this and to see and understand what this um, text means for us. Father, we pray that you would give Robin um, a just an extra measure of grace to be able to communicate in ways that minister to each individual. We know and we've heard already that people have come into this room with all different kinds of burdens and mm. all different kinds of things, Father. So we pray your spirit would do the work that he does of interpreting your word to our ears. We pray that we would be teachable and that you would be honored and glorified in all the things that take place. Let them see Jesus through Robin. Amen. Amen. So as Jackson just said, um, in a couple of weeks, we'll, beginning, we'll be beginning this uh, reading program together. And, um, you know, we'll be doing the, we'll be do, doing 100 um, passages in Scripture, 50 in the Old Testament between now and Easter. And then in the fall, we'll pick it up again and do the same thing, 50 passages in the New Testament. Um, and the message on the... Sunday morning will be taken from one of those passages, and on the Wednesday evening as well, at the Bible study, we'll be picking up one of the other passages. So we're kind of that, the idea is that as a community together, we're reading these these scriptures, and we're we're reflecting on them together. And there's there's real power in that, and hearing you know, it, it begins to get into our conversations, and um, and people bring their own insights and the things the Holy Spirit is teaching them as we read these passages together. So with that in mind, these next two Sundays, um, I'll be preaching on the topic of Scripture, because that's what we're going to be talking about, right? So next, next Sunday, I'll be preaching on all, um, all Scripture points to Christ. And this Sunday, um, I'm preaching on all Scripture is God-breathed. And as you might expect, my main text for that is 2 Timothy 3.16. But I do want to address that, this whole passage and put it a little bit in context, okay? So 2 Timothy is a very personal letter from Paul to Timothy. It kind of bounces back and forth a little bit between Paul encouraging Timothy to remain faithful and to carry out the ministry that he's been called to, telling Timothy about Paul's difficulties and warning him about false teachers. Those are three themes that come up in the, past, in the book, in the letter. And we see a bit of each of those themes in this passage. 
So he starts off reminding Timothy of what he, Paul, has experienced. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Uh, Timothy had been had traveled with Paul for quite a bit, so he knew all this stuff from just from walking with Paul, from being part of his team. But it's interesting that Paul refers to what happened to him in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, because Timothy was from Lystra. That's about 30 kilometers south of present-day Konya, um, which is ancient Iconium. So he would have remembered what happened when Paul first came there. Um, and first Timothy's grandmother, then his mother had become believers, and uh, leading Timothy to the Lord. And Paul had then taken Timothy onto his team um, a couple of years later when he came through on his second missionary journey, which, by the way, means that Timothy was not really a third-generation Christian. You often see him referred to as a third-generation Christian because Paul refers to the faith that was in his grandmother and his mother, but there's only a few years between Paul's first journey and his second journey, and um, so it seems that most of Timothy's family came to faith within a short period of time, within a few years of one another. So Paul then warns Timothy not to expect anything different in his own ministry and to be aware of the dangers of false teachers. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that's, that's a reality in the lives of all believers at some point or another, um, that at some point we will run up against a challenge because of because of the culture we live in because of the people around us not necessarily persecution but we shouldn't expect our lives to be easy because we're believers we shouldn't be surprised when things sometimes go badly for us paul says that's part of life but it's in that context that paul gives a charge to timothy he says as for you Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. He's saying, don't get sidetracked by, by deceivers. Stick to what you know to be true, what you've learned, what you've become convinced of. And Paul points to two sources of truth that Timothy can rely upon as he seeks to do just that. He says, because you know, from, you know those from whom you learned it. It's a little surprising, perhaps, that the first thing Paul points to, points Timothy to, is people. First thing he does is point Timothy to people, specifically to the people who have taught him in the past, people he knows. Probably his mother, his grandmother, definitely Paul. Very few of us come to faith in isolation. Most of us come to faith and grow in faith through relationships with other believers. That's why coming to worship together is so important. We learn in community. We grow in community. And I think many of us could very easily name at least a handful of people who have been highly influential in making us who we are today as believers. That's the way it should be. 
It's no different for Timothy. So the first thing Paul does is point him back to his mentors, to the people that he knows who have taught him, who, who first taught him the gospel and who have in, who invested in his life. That's a source of truth in his life. And then he points him to scripture. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Timothy's father was a Greek, but his mother was Jewish. And apparently, Timothy had been raised Jewish and had learned the scriptures well, which probably explains why Paul could add him to his ministry team when he'd only actually been a Christian for a couple of years because he had this depth of biblical knowledge from his, from his training as a child. His, his mother made sure that he knew the Jewish scriptures. And note how Paul describes scripture. He says, he describes it as making you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's a huge amount of wisdom and knowledge that is not in the Bible, right? I think we can all agree with that. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's not in the Bible that's really important, you know. But it's not in the Bible because it's not necessary to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Belgic Confession from the time of the Reformation puts it like this. We know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. And then it goes off and talks about that for a bit. Second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word, as far as is necessary for us in this life, to his glory and our salvation. So the Bible is not a political manifesto. Well, it does have insights on good ways to run a society. Nor is it a scientific textbook, nor is it a, a psychological manual. Although it touches on all those things, its main purpose is to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what it's for. So with that, with that in mind, let's look at uh, verses 16 and 17 and what Paul says about Scripture. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when, when Paul's talking about scripture here, he's mainly referring to the probably referring to the Old Testament. The term scripture gets expanded to include the New Testament books. So what he says here applies to the New Testament too. But at the time he was writing, when people talked about scripture, they were talking about the Old Testament, about the Jewish scriptures, the scriptures that Timothy had been trained in as a young boy. So he starts off talking about the source of scripture. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. That's a strange expression. Okay, That's not a normal thing that we say in English, right? But it is the most accurate translation of the Greek word, which only appears here in the whole New Testament. So why not just use inspired, like the older translations do? I think one possible reason is that over time, inspired has lost a lot of its original depth. 
it used to mean primarily some kind of divine influence on a person. So the ancient prophets and seers, and not just biblical ones, in general, prophets and seers were described as inspired or some kind of divine influence upon them. Then artists were described as being inspired because they were seen as somehow connected to something beyond themselves. And now, these days, anything extraordinary can be expired. So we had people make, talking about goalkeepers making inspired saves during the World Cup. The word has just become weakened, right? But I think another more important reason is that inspired means literally breathed into. But Paul's point here is not that Scripture is somehow different because God put his spirit into some writing that somebody made. His point is that scripture comes from God. It's breathed out. The English Standard Version puts it well. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Kind of expands it from just God breathed to breathed out by God. The point is that he is the source, the source of scripture. There's all kinds of theories about how that works. The Bible doesn't actually tell us much about the process. <laughs> just records it. Um, but Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So clearly there's more than one way that God speaks in Scripture, right? I mean, he speaks through explicit prophecy, but he also speaks through recorded history. The historical books of the Old Testament are called the former prophets in Jewish circles. And he speaks through poetry, through wisdom literature, and through other kinds of writing in Scripture. 2 Peter 1.21 tells us that prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the writers of Scripture are human, but their writing is directed by the Holy Spirit. They're human. They bring their own personality to the text. And you see that. I mean, when you look at the different writers, you can see their personality coming through in the way they, way they write. The, the Old Testament prophets self-consciously spoke for God. Thus saith the Lord, they would say. And then say what the, the message that they had of, from the Lord. But I think many of the writers of Scripture were maybe not aware that what they were writing was scripture, that in some ways it was like God was working through these men and eventually the church began to, the community began to recognize that God was in this writing. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he was writing a personal letter to encourage a younger minister. That's what the letter is. But in 2 Peter, Peter calls Paul's writing scripture. And Paul's still alive at that point. So it doesn't take long for the church to recognize God's hand in Paul's writing. That's very different from the way that our neighbors view their scripture. For them, scripture is directly dictated to the prophet. There's no sense of the prophet's personality having any impact on the text. The words on the page are a direct copy of a divine original in heaven. Although that's really attractive in its simplicity, that's not really how the church has ever viewed the Bible. 
Like I said, there's various theories about how it works. But despite that, this verse is clear that God is the source of all the writings that we call Scripture. Okay, so God is the source. What's the point of Scripture? Why is it here? Why do we give it such a central place in our worship and in our lives? Paul says that Scripture isn't just God-breathed. It's actually really useful, too. He gives us four things that Scripture is good for. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we'll look at them one by one. Actually, we'll look at them two by two. Because um, there's actually two groups of two. Teaching and rebuking are about doctrine, about what we believe. Correcting and training in righteousness are about conduct, how we behave. Okay? So he says all scripture finds its origin in God. And he says all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking. Correct? So teaching is, you know, imparting right doctrine. Rebuking is about correcting wrong doctrine. And that's why we need to read all of the Bible, not just the bits we like. When he says all, he means all. All of Scripture is useful. And there's various ways to read the whole Bible through. Um, you can read it cover to cover. Uh, you can read it chronologically. I did that for a few years, which is really helpful because you end up reading the prophets alongside the historical books that are, give you the context for what the prophets were talking about. That's very helpful. One of the challenges with reading the Bible like that is that just as you get towards Easter and the celebration of Jesus' resurrection, I've had this experience multiple times, you're also reading the, con the history of the conquest of the Promised Land in Joshua, complete with the con command to exterminate entire populations. And that's a challenge. At least for me, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to recon reconcile that narrative with a God of grace and mercy. And it'd be easy to just skip over that stuff. But so Paul says that all teaching is profitable, useful for, for teaching. So I have to struggle with those passages to understand what they teach about God's character. In some circles of the church, you'll hear people say that you really need to just build your doctrine on the didactic parts of Scripture, the parts that actually explicitly teach doctrine, like Paul's letters. Not the narratives. Narratives are kind of like background. Some people, they may not actually say this, but their teaching reflects it. And they spend the vast majority of their, of their time in Paul's letters. And I am personally always amazed at how, much, how little time so-called evangelical churches spend actually in the evangel, actually preaching from the Gospels. We tend to, as a, as a, as a section of the church, we tend to spend a lot of our time preaching from Paul. But close to 50% of the Bible is narrative. It's storytelling. And that includes the Gospels. And Paul says those stories are useful for teaching true doctrine and combating error. So when the prophets rebuke the people of Israel for their idolatry, what do they do? Again and again, they retell the story of how God rescued their ancestors from Egypt and made them into a nation. They refer back again and again to the Exodus. 
they refer back again and again to the wilderness. The teaching is that God is a faithful redeemer who has earned the right to their full devotion. The way they teach it is by retelling the story. Some sections in the church that take verses like 3 John verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers, and build a theology of prosperity on that, that arguing that true believers don't ever struggle financially or get sick. We were part of a congregation like that, Marilyn and I, when we were first back in Canada. But if you know the biblical stories of God's faithful servants who suffered despite their faithfulness, you know that there's, there's error there. Those teachers are in error. And that verse, actually, from 3 John is mainly just a formulaic greeting like, I hope, I hope you're doing well today. That's, that's what it is. It's just, it's just being polite. So all scripture is useful for gaining true doctrine and for combating error. In the same way that, our, that scripture is our source for true belief about God, it's also our source for shaping how we live. The Greek word translated correcting comes from the word for, for straight. And the New Living Translation translates that as it straightens us out. Scripture straightens us out. If we're willing to listen to Scripture, we'll find that over time, that's what it does. It strains our life out. It points out things that shouldn't be in our lives and challenges us to deal with them. When I teach on worship, I talk about the big brass bowl uh, that lies in the temple between the altar and the holy place. It was filled with water and it served two functions. One function was that it served as a mirror. So that the priests, after they'd been at, at the altar and they got a little bit sooty maybe on their face, they could wash their hands, but they couldn't see, you, know, you can't see your face, right? So you could look and you could see if your face was dirty and you could use the water to wash their faces so they didn't carry that dirt into the holy place. This is symbolic of the, of the role of Scripture in revealing things that shouldn't be in our lives. We look into Scripture as into a mirror, and it reflects back to us, and we see ourselves in it. It also gives us resources to deal with it, to deal with the things in our lives. So it's for correcting and training in righteousness. There's all kinds of explicit teaching of this in Scripture. I mean, the whole book of Proverbs is about how to live wisely and well. Second half of most of Paul's letters is like that. The first half is about theology. You know, that's the teaching and rebuking part, you know, getting our, our, our beliefs right. The second half of most of his letters is about living properly. But there's also models of appropriate behavior, like David's response to Nathan, when Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, right? He took responsibility for what he had done and he repented. A more complex story is the one about Daniel and his friends. Now, we usually focus on their refusal to eat the food from the king's table. We conveniently forget that they all agreed to a three-year university course in Babylonian culture and literature resulting in a guaranteed job serving in a pagan government and even to having their names changed to disguise their, um, their Jewish identity. 
Maybe I'll preach on that when we get to Daniel. We'll see. (laughs) My point is that the Bible is a rich source of material to shape both what we believe and how we behave. But for that to happen, we need to do two things. We need to read it. Okay, that's the first thing we need to do. Just basically that. We just need to read the Bible. Um, A good model for that is to read Scripture every day. And read preferably a full passage, not a little snippet. There's, um, there's There's all kinds of different devotionals out there. People have their favorites. Don't want to offend anybody. But there are, there are some where you have a little, uh, like a one verse thing and then a story and a poem on the end. Not my favorite. Um, I much prefer if, you know, people who put out devotionals where you read a passage of scripture and there's a reflection on the passage. So if, you, if you're using, looking for a devotional, that's a, a good model where you actually read the passage of scripture and then there's a reflection on the passage. So, you know, reading scripture every day, and at least once a week, spend some time actually studying a passage, diving more deeply into a passage. If you find that difficult to do on your own, then join a Bible study. We have one here on Wednesday nights. You know, do it together with people. If you can't, you know, if you can't join a Bible study, start one. Get, you know, find a couple of other people who also want to do the same thing and just study the scripture together. So the first thing we need to do is actually read it. Okay, because the Bible was it somebody once described the Bible as the most bought and least read book in the world because people buy Bibles and then sit them on the shelf and that's where they stay. That's not what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to read, they're supposed to read them. Secondly, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to apply what we read to our lives. It's not just about getting information, right? He's actually the one who changes changes people. You know, we don't do that. We don't do that by ourselves. You know, we make it easier for him to change our lives if we give him the resources of reading scripture. It's like you, when you read scripture, you give the Holy Spirit the tools that he needs to change your life. Just as an aside, try to try to read scripture with an open mind. That's really hard when you've been a believer for a long time. Because you read a passage and you go, I know what this means. I know what this says. I've heard like umpteen sermons on this passage. Um, it's hard also because that's not how our brains work. Our brains work by making predictions of what we'll, we, we see around us or what we read in a book. And then either confirming or disconfirming. That's, that's, what, that's how our brains actually work. That makes reading with an open mind very difficult because we're already guessing ahead about what we're reading. Simple example. During the Wednesday study on the minor prophets, more than once, I would ask something like, what's the, main, what's the prophet's main concern here? And more than once, the, the answer came back, idolatry. But there was nothing actually in the passage about idolatry. I mean, the passage was actually about justice, especially you know, social justice, economic justice. But we've heard for so long that the prophets railed against idolatry, which they did, that that's what we see even in passages where the prophet isn't even talking about idolatry. There's this, there's this 
assumption that we already know what the passages are talking about. So sometimes we have to just take a step back and read it as if it was reading it for the first time. So we've talked about the source of Scripture. It comes from God. And we've talked about the purpose of Scripture, to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what's the fruit of all this? What's the fruit of Scripture? Verse 17 says, So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So studying the Bible is not an academic endeavor. Not that there's anything against academic endeavors. We have some very good academics in this congregation. It's not a nasty word. But it's not studying to gain more knowledge. That's not why we study Scripture. It's not even an exercise in personal growth. We don't study Scripture to become a a better person, although that is itself a good thing, to become a better person. I think we'd all agree on that. The fruit of all of this is that servants of God, each people like us, people who want to serve God, that we become thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what's Paul talking about when he talks about good works? The Bible is clear that good works don't save us. It doesn't matter how many good things we do, we can't earn our salvation. Our salvation is achieved for us by Jesus when he went to the cross in our place. We all agree on that, right? But that doesn't mean there's no place for good works in our lives. In fact, Paul says here that the goal of being shaped by Scripture is that we be equipped for good works. That we be equipped to do good works. So what kind of things is he talking about? James has a nice, concise description of this. Chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So are we known as a people who protect the weak and powerless? That's what James is talking about there. You know, orphans and widows are the most powerless people in society. So are we known as a community, as a people, who do what we can to help and protect the weak and powerless? Or are we polluted by the world? Do we allow ourselves to be shaped by the values of this world? And the values of this world are we serve ourselves, not others. That's the ultimate value of the world, right? is it's about me, my advancement. You know, um, I loved what Jackson said about uh, at, the, um, at the offering there. It's like learning what it means to live generous lives, where our lives impact others for good. You know, if we allow our lives to be shaped by Scripture, it won't just be our private lives that will be affected how we live in our families and stuff like that. It will, it will impact every aspect of our lives. It will impact those around us. That in itself is winsome and draws people to Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about when he says every good work. 
that in the, the early church did things like um, when there was a practice of uh, of um, abandoning children that were not wanted in the in the first century, and the church would go around, but other people would go around and pick up these kids and raise them. And uh, then either sell them, as, sell them as slaves or sell them to prostitution, stuff like that. When we were in Pakistan, there was a, an entire, um, there was an entire uh, uh, tribe that would kidnap children, usually young girls, raise them, and then sell them as brides. So that kind of thing, that kind of thing still happens, okay? Um, but in the first century, that, that was what we, people would do. You know, they'd, they'd abandon children, then people would come around, pick them up, and um, they didn't die and then raise them and sell them as slaves, whatever. The Christians would go around, pick up these kids, and raise them as their own. You know? Why? Because they were shaped by Scripture to see that all life is precious, and all people are made in God's image. It makes a difference to how we live, right? That's the power scripture it doesn't just impact what we believe it impacts how we behave if we allow it to speak into our lives that's what will happen i hope that over the next 10 weeks for some of you it might establish a habit of reading scripture that will last you well into the future allowing the holy spirit to shape you to be like jesus by the means of the word of God. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you that it, all of scripture is inspired. All of scripture is God-breathed. All of scripture is divine in its origin. Even, even if it came through human vessels. So we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that as we read Scripture together, as we study it together, as we hear it expounded, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and that we as a community would become more like you. In your name we pray. Lord, we also want to pray for um, a few things that are on our hearts this week. Lord, I want to pray for Joyce, who is just really struggling with back pain, and um, you know, Lord, that you would you would sustain her and touch her, and Lord, that she would get the care that she needs. Lord, I want to pray for continue to pray for the war in Ukraine and for those who are without heat and food and other things, and Lord, I pray that there would be a resolution to this conflict. And Lord, yeah, the, the countries around us are often in turmoil, Lord. We pray for Afghanistan and the increasingly restrictive rules from the, the Taliban government there. Lord, we pray for moderation there. We pray that there be a change. Lord, we pray, we pray for those within the Taliban movement who are opposed to these things that their voices may be heard. Likewise, in Iran, Lord, we pray for moderation there as the, the hard line of the government is 
driving people through mock um, uh, trials and execution and on to execution, Lord. And we pray for our own country, Lord, here in Turkey, as there's a, there's the run up to the election in six months or maybe five months, as uh, the president said here in Antalya yesterday. Um, Lord, we pray for your your hand upon this uh, this season in our land. We pray for uh, for there to be peace. We pray for it to be the elections to be open and um, and above board, Lord. That's not something we can take for granted anywhere. So we pray for that. Lord, we pray for Catholics worldwide who mourn the death of uh, the retired Pope Benedict. Lord, that you would, um, yes, you would be with them. Lord, we pray for um, those dealing with um, the, the, the huge number of people on the refugee highway in all parts of the world, in the US, the southern border, um, in the UK, with new laws coming in about people crossing the, the, the channel. Lord, these are the orphans and widows of today, the people who are most vulnerable. Lord, we pray that your people in these situations would be able to come to their aid. And Lord, we pray for our church, SPUC, as we enter this new year. Pray for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters throughout Turkey. Lord, that you would be in our midst, changing us to be like you, enabling us to shine your light into the culture and the world around us. In your name, amen.